Now, one of the things that um, human beings have a tendency to do is to take things for granted. And that certainly is true when it comes to being called to a knowledge of the truth. Because we've been around a few years and we tend to take it for granted. So my question today is, what are the benefits of being called? What are the benefits? What, uh, what is derived from being called by God? Well, one thing is certain. None of us would understand the truth if it were not from a divine call from God. That's plain and simple. That's what the Bible teaches. Notice, for example, here in 2 Thessalonians 2, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God from, and the thee is not there, just beginning in its aorist, from beginning chose you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel. He called you by our gospel. Well, that's how we were called. That was the, the message that led us to a knowledge of the truth. And then um, Paul summarizes it here in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse number 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. So it is a heavenly calling that we have received. So what are the benefits from it? Well, I have several that I'm going to give you today, and I suppose if a person would be very, very detailed, you could come up with any more, but I think these are outstanding ones. And first and foremost is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a benefit from being called. A person who is not called and does not have any knowledge of God's truth and doesn't even know what is required in order to receive God's Spirit cannot receive it. And I'll point out there are some things that are uh, required in conjunction with that, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, I can, it, it cannot be underestimated. And yet I think uh, that is probably one of the things that we tend to uh, pay the least attention to, and it is probably one that we ought to pay more attention to. Notice, for example, here in Luke 11, verse number 13. Here's what Jesus said. If you then, being evil, know how to give good, good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those? So he's certainly willing to give us the Spirit. And the fact is, there's no way that we can really overcome and master the pulls of the flesh without it. Now Jesus promised it, because here's what we read in John, the 7th chapter, verses 38 and 39. Verse 37 on the last day, that great day of the feast, which was, of course, the last high day following the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Now he mentioned it several times earlier. Here's a couple of examples here in John 6, verse 44, for example. We're talking about being called. Being a recipient of the Holy Spirit and accepting Jesus Christ, as I pointed out, is a result of a call. So here's what we read in John 6, 44. 
No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And that's it. Now that's very plain. And so Jesus makes it very plain here that receiving the knowledge about him and ultimately the Holy Spirit is a, is a direct result of a call. Now John 4 and verse number 14. You know, you might ask yourself, why is it that you understand it and the next man doesn't? If you spend any time uh, with your relatives in times past talking to them and trying to help them to understand the truth, how far did you get? Well, just like talking to a brick wall, wasn't it? Because their minds have not been opened. It, has, it requires a call. Now in John 4, verse 14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become, will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So again, you see there's a direct relationship between the call and receiving God's Holy Spirit. Now, I pointed out earlier that is predicated, of course, on meeting certain conditions. And here's what the condition is, because once we accept Christ and believe him, then there are things we have to do. And here's what we have to do. We read in Acts 2, verse number 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So accepting Christ and then repenting, which means turning from one's sins and being baptized, are prerequisites. And then it says here, You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's God's promise. Now, if you had a legitimate baptism, and if you received God's Spirit, you should be able to know that. You may not know it immediately. You may not know it overnight. But you will certainly begin to see a change take place in your life and the way you think and what your values are and what your interests are. It'll become obvious after a time. And that's really the proof that you have God's Spirit. And then you will see that you, have, you will be able to overcome things that you, you formerly could not. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the outstanding benefits of being called. Now, secondly, understanding the goal and purpose of life. I remember the booklet that was uh, printed many years ago and sent out, and it had a tremendous impact because people wanted to know this question all the time. The question on the book was, why was I born? Or it was, why were you born? And people would write in and they'd say, yes, I'd like to know why I was born. And most people don't know why they were born. They somehow other have been led to believe that um, they automatically are already saved. They have an immortal soul that's going to go somewhere upon death. And then uh, they don't really know the purpose of life. And so what... A knowledge of the truth gives us, and the benefit of being called gives us, is an understanding of the goal and purpose in life. Notice First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, 
reserved in heaven for you. So it is an inheritance that is incorruptible and it will not fade away. Every single thing in this physical life is temporary. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. One generation comes and another generation goes. But this does not fade away. And in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse number 17, for our light affliction, and that's what this human experience is, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, when you consider the overall span and length of God's purpose and what eternity is, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, that is, we do not consider or make that our aim and goal. Why? but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's what we're striving for. Something beyond this present physical existence. Remember what Paul said. If in this life only we have hope, we are of all men most miserable. Philippians 3, verses 11 and 12. Here's another important text that adds to this. Philippians 3, verses 11 and 12. The thing that Paul said he wanted to attain to was a resurrection from the dead. He states in verse 11. And then notice what he says. Not that I have already attained, or as your marginal reference shows, not that I've already laid hold on it, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, which uh, simply means uh, laid hold on or obtained, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's the aim and goal that we have been given. We understand that. We understand that this physical life is merely a training ground, and it's uh, coming to the place where we, I doubt, will ever be perfect and ever overcome everything, but as the Greek tense points out repeatedly in the New Testament, he that is overcoming and is enduring to the end, the same shall be saved. It's a progressive form. So this is what we're striving. We're striving to, to overcome. And here's one thing about overcoming. I think we, I don't, I don't think we, uh, we, we think about this enough. You don't know you've overcome something until you enter a terrific problem and then see how you react. Because nine chances out of ten, when some kind of a serious problem arises and we don't react properly, we see we have to overcome. We have a weakness in that area, don't we? But how are you going to know again unless it comes again? If you're never, if one is never tried and never put to the test, how are you going to know? So that's why it's important to recognize the value of those things. Now Paul described it here in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's the purpose and goal of life. To attain to the kingdom of God, to work on the mastery of, of crushing the self and bringing it under control, to bring the mind to think and to act like God does in a perfect manner. Something we'll be striving for as long as we live. And the problem is the thing that we've always, the various things that we've always had with us going clear back to childhood and on are the things we'll struggle against as long as we live. All right, the third point. This is another tremendous blessing that people don't evaluate properly. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. How many times have you heard somebody say after they're in some kind of a jam and a real problem occurs and they say, well, I thought that was the right thing to do at the time. Well, the consequences showed that it was the wrong thing. Most of the time, based on a lack of understanding right from wrong. Now, when you consider that a one half of the, about one half of all the voters in the, in the nation don't care about character. They just care whether or not they're going to have their pocketbooks full or whether the economy is good or something of that nature, and character is meaningless to them. It shows you what's happened to the moral fiber of our nation. People don't know the difference between right and wrong. And it's like the prophet said, because you have rejected knowledge, I have also rejected you, seeing you will be no priest to me, since you have forgotten the law of your God. And I tell you, what is preached from the pulpits of the nation's churches today is anything but what the Bible really teaches. And people have never been taught the difference between right and wrong. Now remember what it says in Proverbs 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is a way of death. That's right. Human reasoning in the way we think it ought to be. And yet, there's a standard that was given. And because men have rejected that standard, they don't know the difference between right and wrong. And that standard, of course, is God's law. And the Bible describes it as sin. How many of you, for example, even understood what sin was until God revealed the truth to you? You thought sin, uh, sin was drinking alcohol or wearing shorts or going to a movie on Sunday or some kind of a thing like that, playing cards. Things of that nature. You didn't realize the Bible definition. Those things can be, of course, if they're abused and misused in an improper manner. But here's what the Bible gives as a definition of sin. Most of you are quite familiar with it. First John 3 and verse number 4. Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. Plain and simple. Now, that law, of course, is defined by the Ten Commandments. But notice what Paul said here in Romans 7. You know, the, the scriptures that I'm going through today are ordinary scriptures that we all have probably heard many times. But, you know, people have the idea that's so simple. These simple things. But I can tell you, it's the simple things that people can't overcome. It's not mastering and understanding the importance of these principles that will forbid them to enter the kingdom of God. Notice Romans 7, verse number 7. 
Paul says here, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. Or lust, that's the same thing. So it shows you very plainly here that the knowledge of God's law comes as a result of understanding the, the importance of the Ten Commandments and the law of God in general. Now, let's notice what we read here in Psalm 119, verse 172. All thy commandments are righteousness. Does that, does that exclude anything? What part of God's law in any manner, shape, and form, including the sacrificial law, is unrighteous? Now, we know the Bible has delineated very clearly what portions apply in our time period, and the sacrificial part has all been done away. We know that, but not the law of God. All thy commandments are righteousness. So righteousness is defined by God's commandments. And in the book of James here, James chapter 2 and verse number 10, let's notice what James says here concerning God's commandments. For whosoever, James 2 verse 10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, you know, he reaches his sticking point. Something bothers him. And he doesn't want to obey that. All right, what does it say here? He is guilty of all. That's how God views it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You know, it's amazing to me how many people read statements like that and they'll exclude the first four commandments. They don't want to hear anything about the Sabbath day. They don't want to hear a whole lot about taking God's name in vain. They, uh, they are attached to their idols and it doesn't have to be something that they just literally bow down in some form that is some caricature of something that uh, was molded, it can be anything they, had, they, they, they place ahead of God. You never hear it. You very hear ever hear them bring up those. But those are just as important as these. So knowing the difference between right and wrong gives you a tremendous advantage. You don't have to go through life suffering. Well, people, I tell you, if you, have, if you had experienced and seen some of the things that I've seen and some of the messes that people's lives are in and some of the things they've suffered, and I have for more than 40 years of experience in this kind of thing, I can tell you, you'd realize what a value of God's law is. It's, there's nothing like it. To have that as an assurance, something you can sink your teeth into, something use it, you can use it to regulate your body, I mean your mind, your mind and your body, and something that you can use as a guide and a judge in everything you do. Now, do we always live up to it perfectly? No. But there's a difference between slipping on occasion and making a mistake as living in a, a lifestyle that is sinful and is contrary to God's law. I can tell you, if there's anything people do not want to hear today, it's criticism about their lifestyle and the way they live. They can't handle it. Well, they're going to have to face it sooner or later because they're all going to have to recognize the value of God's law. Next. 
deliverance from the enslaving passions and lusts of human nature. Deliverance from those enslaving passions. You'd be amazed the habits and things that people get into. And I can tell you, I doubt if there's anything I haven't heard before. I can tell you that for sure. I remember the first time that I, I made an acquaintance with a homosexual. And I've known several in the past. And they repented and they did not live that lifestyle any longer. But this man told me, he said, it is just like a fraternity. He said, there's absolutely no place in this country that you can go without having someone within this homosexual community to know about it and to contact you and to prevent you from breaking away from it. This was 30 years ago when he told me this. We can imagine what it must be like today. So, I mean, this is what you read here in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So, receiving God's Spirit is akin to the law of human nature that pulls us in the wrong direction. And if we have this Spirit of God dwelling in us, this life of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, then we do have a good measure of the mind of God and the capability of living a far more righteous life than we could have lived without it, because without it it's impossible. You say, well, not everybody's evil. Well, not everybody does the same thing. But I can tell you, there are a lot of people who, uh, they don't go out and murder, they don't kill, they don't rob, they don't steal, they don't lie. But they lust. They break the Sabbath. They have their idols ahead of the true God. I mean, you know, you can go on and on. So the fact is, it is only by means of God's Holy Spirit that we do have the power to be made free from this law, this, uh, this enslaving law of human nature, that is the law of sin and death. Because that's what we're all born with by virtue of the fact that we're born as human beings. Now notice what Paul said here in Romans 7, beginning here in verse number 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Read that seventh chapter. It's one of the most outstanding chapters in the Bible to give you an insight and understanding of human nature and what we all are up against. He said the very things that he hated... Those are the things he did, and the things that he wanted to do, he didn't have the capability of doing. He failed to do them, and he recognized it was a difference between the, the mind against the, the flesh. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And here's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the only way. That's the result of the Holy Spirit, and that's the result of being called. That's being freed from these enslaving passions of human nature. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. The struggle goes on all the time, doesn't it? And that's what we all face. Now, Paul made a brief statement about it here in Hebrews, the second chapter. And again, he shows the value of Christ's sacrifice and what he did for us and how we have been delivered because we read here in Hebrews 2, verse number 14, 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's all of us as human beings, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were in their lifetime subject to bondage. Haven't we all been subject to bondage? The bondage and pull of human nature. You know, some of the things you think back when you were growing up as a child, and you think back of the times you were envious, and the times you were jealous of other people. That's human nature, isn't it? So those are things that uh, we've had help with to master and overcome. Romans 6, verse number 18. Having been set free from sin, no longer controls you. It's there all right as a factor underneath, but it no longer has complete control over you. So, having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. And in verse number 24, or verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and becoming servants of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. That's the benefit, brethren, of being called. Freedom from the enslaving passions and lusts of human nature. All right, now the next point. The benefit of having the solutions and answers to most of our problems solved. Do I say every one of them? Well, no. Because sometimes we have a very, very difficult time and uh, I think we can sometimes see blessings when something seems to be a curse in the end. We go through it and it seems very, very bad and in the end we see it's a blessing. But the solutions and answers to most of these things are made apparent to us in advance. If we stop and think it through, maybe get wise advice instead of trying to find it on our own all the time. But we don't have to do that, as we'll see in a moment or two. Let's notice here 1 Peter 5 and verse number 9. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 9. It says, Resist the devil, steadfast in the faith, knowing. And here's the point we have to realize. No matter what kind of problems we have in this human life, Recognize this, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We all, everyone suffers from similar things, one way or the other. So we all have to go through it. It's a part of the course. You know, it reminds you if you go out to, to some kind of a training program for uh, some sport, and uh, you go through these various exercises and these uh, various drills and things, because certain muscles are being developed for the particular sport you're in. Then you switch sports, and you think, well, I'm in pretty good shape. And you get out there, and you find out you've got a whole new different set of muscles, and they have to be trained. And it's painful in every single case until you finally get in good physical shape. And that's what this human life is all about. It's, it's, uh, it's bring, uh, bringing these, these muscles uh, into proper conditioning, only it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual aspect of our lives into proper condition. Now, one of the things Jesus said here in the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, in fact, uh, it's, it's actually in the Lord's Prayer, and it's a part of what we need to realize here. And Matthew 7, 
tells us here, the Matthew 6 rather, he's giving the Lord's Prayer here. And what does he say here in this one point? This is verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation. Or a better translation would be, do not allow us to be led into temptation. You know, it's almost like a cliche, but it certainly is true. The average American man can stand anything but temptation. Well, I tell you, you have to realize it's a very, very real thing. And that's why it says, pray for God not to allow you to be led into it. Because these are what lead to the various problems we get in. First, uh, Second Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Second Peter 2 and verse number 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And sometimes he lets us go through them, doesn't he? The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Which implies that the man who's delivered out of temptations is not an unjust man. The unjust man is not going to be delivered. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse number 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, and it's a very, very poor translation here in the King James as well as this new King James Version, it doesn't really put the proper under the proper meaning to it. If you understand it very clearly, then it becomes quite obvious what's meant here. But with the temptation will also present the outcome. That's what it means. In other words, he'll give you a view to what the outcome of this temptation is going to lead to if you master it. He will present the outcome that you may be able to bear it. Wouldn't make any sense. If you're not going to, if uh, if he's saying here that he's going to make a way of escape, and yet you're going to end up having to bear it, so the the uh, you'll give, be given the insight to be able to see what the end result would be. And if you've ever had a real temptation that you fought against, and then you've come out on the end conquering, what an exhilarating feeling it gives you. You feel like you have really accomplished something worthwhile. That's a blessing of having the help that God grants us in times of need. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 18. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. Here's what Paul said. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work or deed. The word is often, often translated deed. He'll deliver me from every evil deed and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Now, he didn't say here, of course, that he'd be delivered from death, because he wasn't. And we know, well, say what we believe, let's put it that way. The tradition is that he was martyred in Rome under the reign of Nero, if that's true. In any respect here, the, the implication is, as we see from Second Timothy, that he knew the time was coming 
and he was soon going to be facing it. That's why he said, I have kept the faith. And so, as a result, what is laid up for me is a, is a crown of righteousness. Now, the ancients, I think, had a much more, even though they may not have known the truth in the same way that we do today as a result of the Holy Spirit, they certainly had an insight, more of an insight into God than, than people in general do today. And here's a good example of it here in Job 5, verse number 19. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yea, in seven, no evil shall touch you. Seven being a number of perfection. And that indicates that uh, clear back here, they certainly had an understanding of that. And the same thing here in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 24 and verse number 16. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. So you see, the solutions and answers to most of our problems are made plain, usually in advance. And we can see the real benefit of having gone through that trial and can do the right thing as a result. Now, I mentioned a while ago, we face these trials and these difficulties. Here's another great benefit of being called to a knowledge of the truth. We know where to get help in time of need. We know where to get it. The problem with uh, most people today, you know, uh, they, they don't know where to go to get help, so they go to the shrink. Or they go to somebody else. They go to anywhere but the right place. Main reason, of course, being that uh, they don't have any knowledge and understanding of the truth of God, and they don't evaluate it, and they don't realize the value there anyway. I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again. If your children knew nothing more than what's in the book of Proverbs, if you taught them what's in the book of Proverbs, you would deliver them from 98% of the problems that they're going to face in life. That's how valuable just the book of Proverbs is. I don't necessarily recommend it in the King James Version because it's, it's difficult. It's that 1611 language and it's, it's uh, difficult to understand. I'd recommend it in some of the more modern versions, but I can tell you it is so valuable for training and teaching a child. And you you know, you sometimes you parents think, well, I don't know how to teach them the Bible. Sit down and read them Proverbs and explain the Proverbs to them. I can tell you that's one of the greatest sources of understanding and knowledge that you can get. You can get it, you get it from God's Word and then you get it from God Himself directly through prayer. Don't ever underestimate it. Notice uh, Psalm 46, verse number 1. Psalm 46 and verse number 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. In other words, He's there. He's, a, he's, he's there for our help and our benefit when we need it. I'm reminded of the cartoon I saw years ago where this little boy was down on his knees praying to God before he went to bed at night. And he said on the caption there, and he said, Well, God, I goofed again. Well, I can tell you, you got an attitude like that, you're a whole lot better off than an attitude where you think that you're just right standing with God and you're doing just fine. He that thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. We better realize we have to have the help from God 
that we need. Hebrews 13, verse number 6. This is a brief text here, but it summarizes it very well. Let your conduct, verse 5, Hebrews 13, verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. That is where your interests are in the physical, and that's what is the driving force behind your life. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So there's a very, very encouraging text here. It should help us all to realize how important it is to go to God to get help when we need it. Psalm 145, verses, uh, verse 18. Psalm 145 and verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. That is, to all who call upon him, on him in truth. In other words, they're sincere people. And they have an honest interest in doing what's right. You have heard people say it, and I have too. God never answers my prayers. You know, God didn't answer Saul's prayer either, did he? And you go back and examine what Paul Saul was guilty of, and he wasn't really seeking God sincerely. He went through the motions, and it said God refused to answer him in any way. And unless you are seeking God in truth and you're sincere and you mean business, it will be an no avail. But if you really mean it and you want to have a right, proper relationship with God and you want the help you need, you better be sincere and you better mean it. And let me add one other thing. You had better be willing to accept your liability in something and be willing to change and to accept God's correction. The Bible says he punishes every child that he loves. And correction is a part of it. And uh, let's notice uh, Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let's be firm. Let's hang on to it. Don't compromise. Don't turn away the truth from anything. Be faithful and loyal to the calling that God gave you. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the difference between Christ and us. He never sinned one time. Now, what's the advice then that we're told to do? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We may obtain mercy. You know, we make, we make mistakes and we do things that are wrong and we feel bad about them. We, have, we need to learn to go to God. You just hold them within and you just continue to let them eat within you. It isn't going to do you any good. You've got to get them off your chest. You don't have to go around confessing your faults and sins to other people. 
But you better be willing to confess them to God. He knows anyway, but he wants to hear it from you. And he wants to know whether you mean business and you're sincere. Proverbs 18, verse number 10. Proverbs 18, verse number 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord simply is a, an expression for saying the Lord himself. He is a strong tower. But just remember what it tells us here. I believe it's in Proverbs 28, verse number 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. You don't own own up to them before God and you don't confess them and you don't repent of them, you will not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's how we get mercy. We better be willing to own up to them. The problem again is this, this aspect of human nature where people do not like to admit they're ever wrong in anything and they'll justify themselves and they'll end up pointing the finger at someone else instead of accepting their own responsibility. Let me tell you, any time a problem rises up, be willing to accept at least half the responsibility for it. Maybe you're not guilty all the way. Maybe there's something you could have done, something you didn't do, something you should have done, something you should not have done. Be willing to, to own up to it. Instead of having this idea in your mind that you're a lily white before God and you didn't do anything wrong. No one is lily white before God. Plain and simple. We all have human nature. Doesn't make a difference who we are. All right, the last point. Being called to a knowledge of the truth gives us the peace of mind and joy that is not experienced by other people. Why their joy is very, very short-lived. They can have all kinds of excitement and joy in some activity they're engaged in or something they're doing, but how soon does it wear off? And I can tell you, one of the primary ways that that joy is constantly generated in your relationship with God as a result of being called is by Bible study and prayer. Maintaining contact with God. You need to study. I think all of us need to study the Bible more. I study it a little bit differently than most of you do because I have to study it from a technical vantage point in many, many cases, and I have about 22, 23, 24 sets of commentaries. And if I get on something heavy, I've got to, I've got to look up every one of those things. When do the Hebrew and the Greek and everything? But just to be able to sit down, you know what would, be, what would really be enjoyable for me sometimes is just to sit down and read through the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs in the Moffat translation. He puts things quite literally, and I mean very, very effectively. Is he 100% right in everything? No, but who is? There's 3,000 mistakes in the King James Version alone. They're all minor. There's just a few that are really outstanding and blatant mistranslations. And they wouldn't have any effect on your salvation if you knew two or three of these ones that are not really, not really uh, translated properly. But, I mean, there's a tremendous benefit to, to uh, switching translations and uh, getting a little different viewpoint from it. And how many times have you read the Bible and you read through a chapter and you say, I didn't know that was in there. Well, that's new. 
Every time you read it, there's something new involved. And I can tell you, this will be a tremendous benefit for your children. Just sit down and get some other translations and read these things to your children and expound it to them. The Bible says, do it day and night. When you sit, when you rise, when you go, when you come. Because if you don't, I can tell you, the poles of this world and Satan are far greater than what your influence is going to be. You need to understand the value of it. Don't treat it lightly. This is the one and only chance your child is going to have to grow up properly. That child will be growing up one of these days, and then you wonder what went wrong. You have nobody to blame but yourself. John uh, 14, verse number 27. And I can tell you, you can't be like a, a certain person here that uh, didn't tell me directly, but let me know I found out through another avenue that... Uh, this particular person didn't want any more tapes of any kind because this person did not want to be controlled and told what to do. Well, let me tell you this. You going to say that to God someday? You going to thumb your nose in God's face and say, you're not telling me what to do? Oh, yes, God is. He'll tell you, he's telling you exactly what to do. Either you will do it or you will not be in God's kingdom, plain and simple. God is not going to have a Satan and people with that kind of character in his kingdom. He's not, he didn't make us robots. If he wanted to want to make a whole uh, society of, of, uh, of human or beings in his image, like robots, he could have done that. But he gives, gives us the right of free moral agency. We have the right of choice. Every, every day as we go through life, every situation we face, we have to make a choice. That's where character comes in. So don't think for one moment God is not going to tell you what to do. The Bible tells you what to do. If I preach it and you get offended over that, that's your problem. That's not mine. My responsibility is to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. Some people don't like it, unfortunately. John 14, verse number 27. This is what Jesus said. Here's a privilege and blessing of being called to a knowledge of the truth. Here's what Jesus said, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. How much peace does the world give us? You know what God says? There is no peace, saith my God, unto the wicked. Promising them peace and then sudden destruction. How long can you depend on peace in this world? It's not like the world gives. Well, that's why he says there, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And in John 16, verse number 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Absolutely. That goes with it. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now one of the purposes of Jesus coming in one of his ministry was to bring peace. First of all, world peace, because that's what he's going to do when he comes back and establishes his kingdom. But as far as we're concerned as individuals right now, let's just... Uh, View it from this viewpoint as we read in Luke 1, verse 79. 
He came to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peacemakers. Not troublemakers. Not arguers. Not contentious. People who make peace and who try to make peace. Now, sure, I'm well aware there sometimes comes a time when you, you draw the line. But you do everything you possibly can to keep peace. And that's the requirement of a Christian. Here's what uh, we're promised here from Philippians 4, verse number 7. The peace of God, Paul says, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. That's what we should be experiencing. Yes, we have troubles in this world. We have trials. We have afflictions. We have various problems that come up. But if we have enough faith and confidence in the God to know that His purpose is far greater than what we experience in this human life, then it's well worth it. And the summary st statement I'd give here regarding peace is, it is one of the fruits of the Spirit. The very first thing I talked about here was the gift of God's Holy Spirit is the benefit of being called. And what do you read here in Galatians 5, verse number 22? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace of mind. And I can add to that, of course, happiness and joy. So let me just summarize by saying here, what are the benefits of being called? Receiving the Holy Spirit. Understanding the goal and purpose of life. Knowing the difference between right and wrong. Receiving deliverance from the enslaving passions and lusts of this human nature. Having the solutions and answers to most of our problems solved. Where to get help in time of need. And to have peace of mind and joy in this life. Let's not take this calling for granted, brethren. Let's stop and meditate on it occasionally. And let's see what a tremendous blessing it has been to be called. Let's not ever throw that truth away.